This is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast, now part of the Digigent family of podcasts. How's it going, guys? Wonderful to have you this week. And uh, before we get started, um, time's a ticking, but we are open still for applications for teacher training June 24th and 25th. Um, soon to soon to close, but if you can get in, let me know. Carrie at wrapyourheadaroundsilks.com to apply would love to have you and we also have out aerial rehab which is meant to be the bridge between pt and your aerial practice ground to air progression i've got so many micro progressions there for things like hip keys and inversions i've got my beginner to intermediate course and of course roll it out which is on sundays at 7 p.m pacific time zoom we jump on there we um, do a guided hour of live body rolling, your floor, your balls, and foam rollers, and we do it together. Pain is better when you're together, you guys. All right, so today we have Caitlin Larson. She is an aerialist and an American woman living in Australia with her now daughter and her partner. And man, this woman went through it. She uh, decided to swear off men date casually and then after like two weeks dating a guy she got pregnant but it was around March 2020 the world shut down and she had to get through a pregnancy with very little doctor's visits and her guy was not anywhere close to her so I titled this one when all the shit hits the fan because it was a lot and she even had to deal with a lot of complications and stuff after she had the baby. So she tells us all the the juice and the tea. And um, it was so fun to talk to Caitlin. Let's get started. Caitlin, how are you today? Um, I'm a little bit gross. Um, sorry for <gasps> in advance for coughing and all the things. I've got my tea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have some sort of unknown long-term illness that... I'm going to a specialist for next week, so. Oh, my God. How long has it been? Uh, two months. Ma'am. Yeah, of, like, constant green snot, coughing up grossness. Can't exercise very well. Can't sing, like, all that crap. It's <laughs> sounding like I'm trying to be a sexy man, but, like, slightly failing. Um, all that. <laughs> Caitlin comes to us from Australia. So what time is it over there? It is 9.30 in the morning. I'm in South Australia, which means we're on our own strange half hour time. So like Sydney, it's 10 a.m. But here it's 9.30 for no reason other than to be difficult. Thank you for making doing that math with the time zones with me because I would have messed it up 100%. So it's 5 o'clock here in L.A. And you guys, my listeners, you can't see this. But this is a mini cone. This is a mini ice cream cone. Do you guys have Trader Joe's? Trader Joe's is the only American product, right? Correct. Okay, so we have this awesome grocery called Trader Joe's. And they have these coffee chocolate dipped little mini cones, like just like tiny serving. And because I can't really drink coffee, like the amount of coffee in this gives me like, it's like a, it's like a little espresso for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It was giving me a little wake up. It's it giving me that like five o'clock, a little bit tired, but now I have to be, you know, I'm starting the second half of my day because that's how we moms do it. Fair enough. So, um, Caitlin, you were suggested to me by our friend Laura Evans, who was just on the podcast, and she's like, you have to talk to Caitlin. <laughs> she like checks all the boxes for this type of podcast all the reasons I was like let's do it so Caitlin if you'd introduce yourself and maybe some of those reasons why our friend Laura was like you got to have this chick well my name is Caitlin Larson I am American but I've been living in Australia for about eight years I just got my permanent residency it only cost me about $25,000 and most of my um but I, um, I've been an aerialist since after university. Um, 
And I used to make a living traveling around mostly the States teaching high-level workshops. And then I would also do some performances. And then I came to Australia um, to try to do traditional circus, like in the tent with the uh, caravan. Discovered that was not for me and then ended up... um, settling in Melbourne and working on my next degree in exercise science. And I was also uh, aging, as you do. And around that time, I was kind of um, going through a big breakup and I swore off um, men and decided I would have a baby by myself. And conveniently, and also inconveniently, at that time, I happened to meet my current partner. Uh, He was visiting Melbourne and we met on Tinder and had a date and then within a week we were on a getaway together and accidentally created my daughter um and at that same time um was right when covid was starting to hit so i went to america this was february 2020 i went to america to visit my family found out i was pregnant called this guy that i had only been with for like a week (laughs) um told him I was pregnant. He was like, great, we'll figure that out. And then I came back to Australia to have COVID go into full force, like never saw a doctor, super pregnant by myself, uh, borders shut down, couldn't get across to him for most of that time. Um, Like I saw a midwife one time, you know, it was a, it was a long experience and trying to do aerial throughout COVID was just almost impossible and then my abs split at five months and um or rectus diastasis if you'd like to use the proper term and um yeah pregnant aerialist post mama stuff has also been rough yeah I'm not exactly sure what you're hoping to hear but um I've got all I can touch on all the things I believe I've oh my god I'm like over here (laughs) chewing my cone like it's popcorn and I'm watching a movie I'm like what (laughs) So really quick, like it's, it's like the outline of the book. What's been rough postpartum? So like just touch on it. Yeah. So physically postpartum, um, there were some complications The healthcare system's not the greatest out here in the country. I'm in South Australia now, not Melbourne. And, um, they, there was an infection. So about a week after birth, I started like having convulsions and I had to go back in and have surgery and have them remove the infection. Turns out there were two other infections in the same hospital for two different C-sections that same time. She was an emergency C-section. So, um, and then that infection continued topically for a while. So I had to keep, um, having things like that. And then they left placenta in there. So at 12 weeks postpartum, I was still bleeding, so I had to go and get uh, a scan and then go in, go under again for surgery to get the placenta removed. And then post all that, my daughter had some health issues. I wasn't sleeping. She wasn't sleeping. Turns out she's anaphylactic to a lot of the stuff I was eating, which meant I was basically killing her by giving her my breast milk. And then I got PPD quite severely. Um, so... It was, a, it was a rough wow. go. Yeah, and my family was trapped across, you know, borders. My mom came over and quarantined about six months into Immy's life. Imogen's my daughter. And um, that's the only one who had met her until recently. So it was, it was pretty shit, honestly. And now I'm one and done, like, after that. I was going to say, <laughs> that's not a very good experience. To I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be repeated the same, but... Pandemic was hard on everyone, but whoa, that's really hard. It it took its toll, um, and I waited a oh, while. I can imagine. Birth. So, I mean, I am on the older end in the so-called geriatric pregnancy age, but um, how old are you now? Uh, I'll be thirty-seven next month. Oh yeah, you're you're considered geriatric after thirty-five, but yeah. I had my little bean. She was born at forty-two. Oh shit! And yeah. then, sorry. Yeah, and now hurt? she's gonna yeah. turn. Oh, we can swear. Don't oh, worry. Okay. <laughs> I do a full edit, but you know, I'm pretty sure people just enjoy when it's just really free flowing. At least I do. Agreed. You know, 
which is why I don't really plan these things because I like to be so shocked and surprised when somebody tells me their story so I can like, it's just, it's, ju- it's juicy. It's like a juicy fruit for me to bite into. So there is a lot there. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go back. Yeah. Where you do you traveled want to around the States and you taught, I want to, I want to start from the beginning. So okay. you taught what, what was it that made you want to travel and teach like that versus like, were you, um, kind of a gypsy anyway? So I've always had that travel bug. Um, my dad is from Sweden and, um, so I, I was taking trips there as a kid and just really enjoying meeting all these kids who could speak three languages by the age of five. And I was just this kind of dumb American being like, I only have English. Hi. Um, so, yeah, so I'm from Nevada, but I went to school in New York. I went to university at NYU and um, kind of to have distance, but also to have that big city life. And after that, I actually became a tour director. So my job was to take people on vacation um, and be like, if you look out of the right side of the bus, you'll see. Um, so I did that for a bit. And then I found circus. So circus kind of combined all of those wonderful things together. Um, acrobatics, teaching, travel, performing. Um, and so after I went to circus school in England and I came back and I started teaching um, with some different companies, like low level kid stuff, um, I started. How to- old were you when you when oh, you did all this? Uh, I was just post-college. So I was about 21 Oh, I see. I see. Okay. When I found circus. Yeah. So, but I had been a gymnast, uh, when I was a kid, I just, I broke my back when I was 14. So I had to quit. So, um, so traction. Hanging. You guys should see my face. I, I love when you just like, like people just drop stuff. Like I broke my back in half. And so then I had to rethink the whole thing. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. When you break your back and you can no longer tumble, then you're like, well, maybe those, you know, routines that I was creating, when I was like doing a Ghostbusters floor routine for gymnastics and they were like, no, you can't be the ghost running away from the Ghostbusters. That's not how this works. It's a routine. It's not a performance. I was like, oh, right. I was like, maybe that was my body being like, this is not for you. These rules, they don't. What does that mean? Did you have a, did you have a, did you have a hairline fracture? Like what? So I broke, I actually broke my back competitively weightlifting the first year of high school and um, I was only 4'11 and like 90 pounds. And I was power cleaning where you like jerk it up to your chest. And my spotter didn't spot me correctly. I was lifting way too much weight because the football coach thought it was cool that a girl was strong. And yeah, I fell badly. I fell into the weight rack. The weights fell on me. And I um, fractured two vertebra and tore the discs in between in my lower back, L4, L5. Um, so luckily I didn't have surgery. Uh, I had physical therapy for about six years and because, because of gymnastics, I was stunted in height for what I was supposed to be. And when the growth plates in my heels finally, um, fused together and healed, I grew about six inches and that left all this lovely room in my spine for scar tissue. (laughs) Oh, so I got real lucky and never had to have surgery. And now I just have to, um, like stay fairly fit. Like when I get chubby or weak, um, I get a lot of back pain. Like right now, because I've been sick for so long, I'm a little bit chubby and a little bit weak and my back hurts. Um, so, oh my God, you could, you could, uh, you could do like three episodes of this (laughs) podcast. I think there'd be enough to enough material. Okay. So you came back from circus school and you were traveling and teaching. What did you learn from that time in your life? What, what is it like to teach Ariel all over the U S uh, your community expands exponentially. It's wonderful to see that in most places, circus is really about being the Island of misfit toys and just like really accepting anyone and everyone who comes in it made me also realize that travel without circus was not even as close to fulfilling because you're not going somewhere and having this amazing, wonderful, welcoming community that just like accepts you no matter what. Uh, When you travel 
without knowing somebody in that place, or even with only knowing like a family with kids or whatever, that like doesn't have the same interests as you do. It's very um, limiting, but it also makes you realize how much you give up to maintain that lifestyle. Um, and it was worth it for me, you know, having very few belongings and constantly sleeping in planes instead of in beds and, you know, driving long distances after coaching for 10 hours. Um, it was worth it for me for a while. Um, but yeah, you do give up a lot for a while. What does that mean? How long? Oh, a while, like eight years. <gasps> yeah. Wow. But you wouldn't be on the road just and out. Would you no. go back to Denver? Yeah, I would take, I would take stints. So I would take gigs in certain places. So I used to also run like flying trapeze schools. So okay. if you know of trapeze school, in New York, they have different yeah. schools all over the States. Right. So I would come and like be a kind of like a specialist for them for a while in DC. I used DC as a home base for a while, Washington, DC. And, um, like I would, I was training their new people to be flying trapeze instructors at the same time, Got like it. teaching Ariel and putting on shows. Uh, Dallas was another hub for me. There was a flying trapeze school there that I would help um, with. And also a friend owned an aerial school down there still does actually. Um, and she would bring me in to either coach high level stuff or help put on a show. We created like a ridiculous, wonderful show about uh, people in an insane asylum in the 1890s and put it on stage like a big oh, I love it. Dallas stage, all aerial, all ridiculous, all wonderful. Um, nice. So yeah, I had hubs and I also lived in Puerto Rico for like almost two years because Trapeze School New York opened a school down there and I was helping run that and then run that for two different years. So. And through all of this, you, um, the years were going by and you decided, um, I'm just going to be a mom. Well, on my own. Yeah, I was always, I always knew I wanted to be a mom, uh, but I wasn't sure about how or like it was going to be with a circus show. I kind of came to Australia on accident. So I was with a guy at that time who was kind of, he was wonderful. He was much younger than me, though. I used to date much younger. Not always the best choice. Um, he, um, <laughs> he was very into flying trapeze and he had at that time in his life, kind of like a small town mentality. He hadn't really traveled much. Like the first time he went anywhere was like, I dragged him to Mexico and then I dragged him to Colombia for like a week. And I was like, if you don't travel with me, I'm done. I need to go places and do things. I was like, you pick the place. And he picked Australia. And I was like, what a cop out. You're just going there because they speak English. Like, that's why. <laughs> and we came here and did some circus and our relationship didn't up end up lasting but he went back to the states and i fell in love with australia and stayed here um so well people are there for a reason yeah and then right? i dated some more yeah. people that didn't work out and uh around that time in my you know early 30s i was like yeah f this i am gonna just do it by myself so i had saved up a bunch of money which now has been put into the house that i live in instead of a baby well also i love it. A baby <laughs> i love it and right, um, right, right. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it on my own. And then I was like, while I finish saving this money and all these things, I'm just going to date casually. And so like on my profiles, it was like casual summer flings only classy ones or something like that. <laughs> and yeah, my current partner and I met up and we were supposed to have a casual summer fling. And then whoops, it lasted a lot longer. <laughs> so I'm assuming you like each other, too. We do. It very much worked out. Um, okay. <laughs> the world just, like, it made it happen for us, even with the pandemic. And, like, he's got a step, he's got a son here, so I have a stepson. Um, so he can't really leave. That's why I now live in the middle of nowhere. But you still, you still love Australia. I do. Yeah, I really do. It's like... It's like America. It's very Western. It's like America, but with no guns and um, less bullshit. <laughs> it's a very poignant point no nowadays. <laughs> and um, it's like there's still opportunity. So, you, for example, where I live, I just started a circus school, and I was the first one to do that out here. So even though it's slow growth in a country town, like I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. I'm not putting anybody out of business. Mm -hmm. I'm not competing, which... 
was the only way I was ever going to run a circus school because that was never my goal. Right, right. Oh, I love this. Okay, so <laughs> this is so funny because I just feel like, man, when I was dating, so I got divorced and then I was 37 or 36 and I was like, I really wanted to have a partner and a baby and I was considering doing it myself, but I didn't really want to. And I tell a story all the time. Like I started dating, like it was a job. Yeah. So pretty much like opposite of what you did. And if I had probably done what you did, it might've been less painful. (laughs) I had already done the dating like a job. Oh, you had. All right. Okay. So you, okay. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, I just jumped on it a little earlier in the early 30s. And then I was like, this job blows and I am not yielding good results. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, who knew that like creating anxiety on the first and second date with a dude, trying to plan your whole life out with a guy you don't even know you like doesn't really work. I mean, shocking. Shocking. (laughs) It's totally shocking that that doesn't usually give us the good result. Um, oh, I love, see, this is why I love podcasts. I also, I always say this too. My mom was just like, get off the phone with your girlfriends. You're never gonna, you know, go, go study. You're never going to use that. You're never going to, well, guess what, mom, <laughs> professional podcaster. Who knew? Take so, that. <laughs> take that. I totally use the skill set every day. Okay. So let's keep on moving in the story. Okay. So it was the very beginning of the pandemic. Mm. Australia was under a lockdown that was similar to United States or more strict, more strict, right? It was more strict. Yeah. We were, they tried to jump on it really okay. quickly because you know, New Zealand so close to us. Yeah. Uh, at the time, their prime minister did a really great job of like containing and locking down and it was really rough for them, but it worked over here. They were trying to do a similar thing, but not doing this great of a job. Um, so where I was in Melbourne, um, we were masking up by March. Their first lockdown was like end of March or early April. And like the lockdowns, there were like, four or five different ones. So like I was teaching, I had like shows planned. We had fringe on my, my performance troupe was like ready to do all these things. We were putting together a new show and I had it all worked out because these things were happening by the time I was five or six months pregnant. So I could still do it. Um, and not be too, too huge, but, uh, yeah, lockdown hit and I lost like 85% of my income all of a sudden. And that was not in the plan. Uh, So, yeah. And then I was able to, so the way that the border closure worked, um, I was able to enter South Australia. So Zach, my partner, lived about an eight-hour drive from me. So I was able to drive into South Australia as long as I only stayed at his house. So it was like a quarantine situation where I could go and then I had to like take a COVID test. The police had my phone number and they would check on the house randomly and you had to like wave from the window and not exit. And you had to stay in the backyard and or the house. So, and he couldn't visit me the same way because if he came back, he would have to quarantine for two weeks before he could go back to work. And he couldn't do that with his job and his son. And I didn't have to quarantine because... Victoria versus Australia, the two different states had different quarantine rules. I see. So being super pregnant and nauseous for the first three months and then like just raring to go the next driving eight hours. Yeah. So I would just every couple weeks uh, for the first part of the pandemic, I would drive eight hours there, stay for like four or five days. Cause at that point I was coaching online exclusively because there was no in-person classes anywhere. And then I would drive the eight hours back and, you know, work a little bit in person at my other jobs. And, um, yeah, that was pretty shit, but I did get to see a bit of the area that I live now outside the car window. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, saw, saw some of the, 
the people in the area. And um, yeah, but then about six months into the pregnancy, the borders locked down completely and we couldn't get back and forth. Um, and wow. around that time, we had decided that we actually loved each other and wanted to try this and that I was probably going to move over here. Uh, but then I couldn't get over here. I was trapped <laughs> and we were getting closer Ugh. and closer to the due date. And I still hadn't seen a doctor and I'm sitting there at home. Like they're telling me. You hadn't me seen a doctor because they wouldn't take patients? Because of the lockdown. Yeah. So I saw an OBGYN over the phone one time. And I saw a midwife in person one time. Yeah. And then they were like, all right, you need to take your own blood pressure. You need to measure your belly. You need to make sure all of these things. And I was like, ah. luckily, one of my friends and circus students was also a midwife. So I would just call her and be like, oh, I'm scared. This is happening. And she's like, put your feet up, drink a glass of water. If it doesn't change, call me in 10 minutes. So hot mess. So you had, did you have any complications that you didn't know about? Mm. I was pretty lucky until the birth. I had a, I tried to stay really healthy and work out the whole time. And then obviously, except for my abs after five, six months. Um, and I had a couple complications. Um, I did have to go to the hospital once. Um, but it was just because she liked to like flip in weird ways and it would make her heartbeat really accessible. Um, so they were worried for a little bit, but, um, yeah, I only had to go to the hospital once for a quick check and I would have just gone to a regular doctor or whatever, but I wasn't able to get in to see one. So the only option was the emergency room. Um, so if you had to, you could access an emergency room at any time. Correct. Yes. Yeah. You had to stay masked up. And if I got admitted, um, no one would have been able to be with me. Do you know what I mean? Like that was the okay. scary part was like the fact that if I did go into labor or something bad happened, like you're on your own. Right. But were you on your own anyway? Like L- luckily not you, meaning like you couldn't have any friends or students or anything come and help you. Correct. Luckily my housemate was also my best friend. And so because they like, if you live in a house with someone, they're considered like your pod or whatever. Um, uh, okay. Okay. Luckily she was allowed to be in my region and all of those things. So I had, she was an amazing human and amazing support system. And so, um, but yeah, it was like, it was still limited as to what, like she couldn't come to my scans or anything with me. I got one scan. So I guess I should say scan, um, the five month scan, Luckily, no big complications. They were worried for a while because my mom um, had really bad complications with pregnancy. She had, um, oh gosh, what's the one where you have to lay in bed with your feet up for the last part of the pregnancy because you have really high blood pressure? Uh, oh, uh, eclampsia, something. That one, preeclampsia, yeah. She had yes. preeclampsia and she also clinically died when she delivered my brother and myself and had to be defibbed back to life. And then she got pregnant again after me and they told her she had to choose between her or the baby, but then the baby uh, was lost. Like she had a miscarriage. Um, So they were a bit worried about me, but luckily I didn't have those issues. Oh, I I (laughs) forgot. The listeners can't see my face. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot to mention, but I'm like, that the all of the doctors previously had told me that I probably would never get pregnant because of my really inconsistent angry periods and because of the shape of my uterus um they were telling me that like it would be a hard time to ever get pregnant naturally if ever if you wanted to you'd probably have to have in vitro put in because it'd be put into the right spot and I was like okay but I'm gonna tell you right now that was not true did you have a lot of cysts too um no not too bad. Um, never had had any actually surgically removed, but like I, I had the, um, the copper T, uh, like implant on, but the one that's in your uterus, I had that once and, uh, IUD. Yeah. I had issues with that. I had to surgically remove that and some other stuff just because I have a very strangely shaped uterus apparently, which came to pass when she couldn't, my daughter couldn't get out, um, during birth. 
So that's why the emergency C-section happened because after lots of pushing, like they're like, she's not emerging. <laughs> and I was like, I, what do I, what do you want? What do I do? I can't imagine the pandemic without my wine. No, I, it was, and... it, that was the one time I wanted to drink into oblivion and could not. Yeah, oh. I mean, look, there's a lot bigger problems in the world, but I'm just imagining being on my own, pregnant. I did not, I do not love being pregnant. No. That is just me. There's a lot of women who feel very differently. So like pandemic plus pregnancy, because I gave birth to my little bean six months before the pandemic. Ooh, just so I had other issues. To go through being mommy in the pandemic. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think all around terrible. Um, wow. You have a lot of stuff. So yeah. this is, this is me. Usually I know where I'm going and I'm like, there's a lot of places to go here. <laughs> no one knows so, what to do with yeah. me. It's not just you. Well, so you, it's almost like the universe was like, we're just going to give her a smooth pregnancy because she's all like, she's already dealing with a lot right here. I like to think that that was the case. Yeah. Maybe. And so emergency C-section, by this time, are you and your partner living together? Yeah, so I was able, so we applied for, so you couldn't get across the border. There was just like a no-go for anybody. And we were applying and applying. We applied like 26 times to try to get me across the border. And it was called compassionate circumstances. And we were basically saying, I want to be with him for the birth. He can't come here. Like, we want to be together. I'm moving there. Can I come? I will do the test before, I will do the test after, I will quarantine, I will do what you want. And it took like two and a half, three months for me to get across the border at 36 weeks pregnant. And it happened all in like a day and a half. They were like, you can come, you have to arrive tomorrow at this time at the border, you'll get a COVID test, police will escort you all the way to this hotel in a city um, three hours away from my partner, which is like the big city in South Australia, Adelaide. And they're like, you'll be put in hotel quarantine for two weeks by yourself. Um, you have to pay $3,000 to do that. And then you'll get out at 38 weeks pregnant and you can go, if your COVID tests are negative, you can go and be with your partner. Um, so that was horrible. Quarantine was horrible, but I used the pregnancy card and I got a balcony um, in my fancy hotel. So at least I got to go outside a little bit. Um, Zach and his son drove down twice to come and stand in the park below my balcony and like hold up signs and have like food delivered to my room so that we Aww. could have like little moments. Um, yeah, and I had- the, Which is a what, a three hour drive from him. Yeah. And I had the Women's and Children's Hospital knew of my existence because I could go into labor at any moment. Um, and they were like, yes, if you go into labor, um, your partner can come. You'll both have to mask up for the birth. And then you'll have to go back into quarantine for another two weeks with the baby by yourself. And I was like, I am just going to cross my legs. No babies until I'm out. Um, so yeah, I held her in and it was all great. And I got out and during that, during that uh, two weeks quarantine, we actually bought a house that I had only seen via video. Oh. Um, so that's the house we're in now. Um, and well, because all that money didn't have to go to IVF, right? Is correct. that basically yeah, so it was either going to go to my got business it. or a house. And I was like, COVID who knows until I'm going to be teaching face to face again, let's buy a house. So I have somewhere to live. So yeah, we bought a house together and um, in his name uh, because I didn't have permanent residence yet. So I wasn't allowed to be on the lease, on the um, title. So mortgage. Yeah, the mortgage. These are words that I've just learned as an adult. Um, so yeah, so I got out at 38 weeks. We got the keys the day after I got out of um, hotel quarantine. And then I spent the next two weeks um, tearing wallpaper off and... Um, pulling up floors and stuff at 38 to 40 weeks pregnant. Um, and I got to see doctors in real life over here. And they were like, yeah, yeah, keep doing all that physical labor. That's great. That'll help the baby come out. No, it did not help her come out because at 41 weeks, I finally 
I had had contractions for three days and they finally got close enough together that I could go to the hospital. And um, then it took another like six hours for them to be close enough for them to like actually let me start pushing, maybe six, no, nine hours. Yeah, it was like midnight to 11 to morning. And I have a pretty high pain tolerance as most of us aerialists do, because it's a very masochistic sport, right? Um, and I like, I was doing all the things. I was sitting on my ball. I was doing my like handstand type things. I was like going in the hot showers. I was using my tens machine, everything. And like when I when my water broke <coughs> all over Zach's shoes, sorry. Um, <laughs> when that happened, I had some really bad contractions, still too far apart to actually like push, but I vomited like into his hands vomited because the pain was so intense. And at that time they were like, are you all right? Do you have drugs? And I was like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but something's wrong. And they were like, nothing's wrong. You're fine. People vomit all the time. I was like, no, people might, but I don't, not from pain. Something's wrong. You're going to have to pull her out. And they're like, no, it's okay. And I was like, why will no one listen to me and my body? And so, yeah, we went into actual labor, I guess, or the second part of labor. And I started pushing and um, it wasn't working. Basically, they had all these students because it's also a teaching hospital. So here I am. Thinking, oh, my God. I love when stories happen like this. Here I am thinking that I have modesty and that I was going to like be somewhat dressed. No, I'm naked from the waist down and I just don't care because I'm in so much pain. And they're like, do you care if so-and-so watches? I was like, oh, I don't care. Doesn't, I don't care. And so there's like four or five people standing around looking at my vagina uh, while I'm going through contractions and pushing. And they're like, oh, do you see how her um, asshole is puckering? That means she's doing a great job pushing. And I was like, <laughs> okay. This is my birth story. Great. Um, so was the angle of the head not dropping down into the. So she was actually angled fairly canal. well and they could see her crowning like for two hours of pushing. They could see her crowning and they were like, you're doing great. Keep going. It's working. It's working. But I guess because of the weird shape of my uterus, she kept pulling back up into my rib area. So it was like see your head for like one of the pushes, see your head for another push. And then the contraction would go away. And it was like, she'd go straight up in there and they couldn't find her anymore. Like they were like, she's too high up. And I was like, it's 41 weeks. Just get her out. Like I'm done. And um, yeah, so I pushed for like two, two and a half hours. And then they were like, we have to go in. She's her heart is going, her heart rate's going up. We have to get her out. And I was like, fine, great, do it. And then it took them a really long time to um, put in the spinal tap and like numb me down. Didn't work the first time, so I could still feel everything on one side, which was agony um, to like have the whole left side of my body just like be screaming. And then they did it again and everything went numb. And then, you know, they put up the sheet and you're in, you're laying there. And by that time I'm drugged up. And I hate it because mm -hmm. you have no control of your body and you're numb from like the boobs down. And um, they're cutting her out and everything seems to go okay. That whole part's really hazy. I just remember her being pulled out and shown to me and she's got like jet black hair. And I was like, whose baby is that? And they were like, <laughs> what does your partner look like? He's got like light brown hair as well. <laughs> Okay. And I've got like dirty blonde hair. And I was like, that, is there another woman in here? Is there another one over? And I was so like drugged and, um, yeah. And then she apparently pooped inside me and then they put her while well, I was so nauseous. They had to give me more drugs to like, take me out of it. I don't react well to going under. And so they gave her to Zach to have some skin to skin while they like pulled me to the right level so that I could have her on my chest. And then she pooped all down him while she was being held. And then she laid on me and apparently she's real good at the boob. She latched on right away. Um, and then they put her on the scale and she shit all over the scale. And I was like, well, at least <laughs> we know my daughter's a champion pooper. 
um, which she gets from her dad. And um, <laughs> <laughs> did she have any problems with swallowing it in the in in utero? No, that's a thing. It, it happened as they were pulling her out, apparently. Is her pooping good now? Yeah, yeah, she's a good pooper. It's actually going in the potty now. Ching, ching. Oh, there you go. How old is your daughter now? She's two and a, almost two and a half. Okay, that makes, that tracks. Yeah. Mine is almost three and a half. What's the birthday? Uh, October 18th, 2020. <gasps> no. Yeah. Really? They're a year apart exactly. Oh we Lord. were in hail one year apart exactly. Oh, I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> what a year. One year makes a huge difference when there's a pandemic in there. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. We started to come out of the pandemic as I was raising her. So, oh, being home all the time with her. Ugh. Not a huge fan of living mm -hmm. stage. Like, love the baby, very cute, cuddle, cuddle, but like, God, just do something. And now she is, and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Every single time Bean grows, I'm like, I imagine like her older, and I can't imagine loving her any more than I love her right now. Mm. And then she gets older, and she, more of her personality comes out, and I was wrong. Right? Totally wrong. Yeah, like when they say yeah. things like, I love you, mommy. Or like in the shower, she goes, you're my woman. And I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> you're my girl. <laughs> my bean likes to, if anybody talks to me, she goes, not her, not my mommy. <laughs> Amy goes, no talking. I say no talking. <laughs> oh my, oh my God. So what is your area practice like now um now it's it's decent I have um the last two months have been a bit rough with this like mystery illness um but um like I basically had pneumonia for a while and then somehow in the summer in Australia because I'm really talented but basically that um <laughs> has eclipsed into something else and I have some sort of infection in my lungs and I can't breathe um so, um, but prior to that, um, things are going fairly well. So I, um, I, I got my, I got a rig. I had sold my stuff in, a, in Melbourne when I left and I just had some equipment, but, um, some apparatuses, but now I bought my rig, uh, in my backyard so I could start training post baby. And it took a lot longer to get back up in the air because of that, like, infection and the placenta left behind so I kept having to have like more surgeries and things and then when yeah. the PPD hit pretty hard um it wasn't like I was going up and down with my training and I found a space out here but it didn't have very high ceilings and I hung in there for just a little bit with some stuff and it was just about to start teaching classes I had like an open day and some like kids school holiday programs and then they were like, oh, you can't teach kids here. And I was like, I live in the country. That's like 90% of my clientele because I scare all of the adults. Like it ha it's a slow roll with the adults out here, you know? They're like, uh, yeah, it's not, they're like, oh my God, the American who hangs upside down? I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> so I stopped that and I managed to find another space two blocks from my house. Um, and I only get to be in there a couple afternoons a week, um, three to four afternoon evenings a week. But it's got beautifully high ceilings, um, and I have. And it's an aerial space. It's it's for aerial. It's class. it's a school, it's a kids gymnasium, like for a school. So got it. I rent from okay. them um, four afternoons a week, and sometimes on the weekends and for shows and stuff. And um, I have my rigging installed with a beautiful pulley system with rope grabs and. Um, I've got eight points. I've got silks and liras and all those. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because we have space in the country. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so that part is going well. I, at the moment, I'm kind of stagnant with the business because country life is just, it's 
you don't advertise. Like, you know, if you live in the city and you want something to be well-known, you advertise, whether that be via social media or via, you know, TV, radio, flyers up at schools or, or something else. Out here, the only way you get business is through word of mouth and um, when you know someone who knows someone. So it's like nepotism, but not being family style. It's like, it's like country <laughs> nepotism. And um, so I have like a decent amount of classes, but I've stopped trying to grow the business for a little bit. And I'm just kind of maintaining the status quo and starting to push more shows. So we do like a little, a fringe festival up here. Um, they call it River Fringe because we're on the river. And one of the councils, okay. one of the city councils hires me to perform and the kids put on a show as well. So that's nice. Just did one of those. I am trying I to love get it. back into my performing a bit more. So like the local musical is happening and um, I auditioned for that and they put me in that and now they're like, oh, you do circus, let's add that in as well. So I'll do a little bit of circus in that. Raise my profile a bit out here. But yeah, for the most part, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's a different lifestyle than I was used to living in cities. Oh, I can't even imagine because, well, I'm from a small town, so I can, but I've been here for so long and it's just, you know, I'm in an urban jungle over here. I have a question though. Mm. So your postpartum depression, mm. when did you recognize it? And then how long did it last and how did you get out of it? Oh yeah. So, um, I, probably around three to four months after she came out. So, um, like I said, so she's anaphylactic to like eggs, cashews, pistachios, and was to milk. And now she's just like intolerant to milk. So, oh, and hazelnuts, sorry. Um, so a lot of like allergy crap that I didn't know about that no doctors could diagnose, no pediatricians could figure it out until they could give her a scratch test. So she was a very difficult baby. Um, because she was like, I was poisoning her and I was trying all these different diets and trying to like figure out what was wrong with her, but we couldn't figure it out. And she would get eczema so badly that she would scratch herself till she bled, even in like the swaddles or like the mittens. Oh my God, poor thing. I know. And so <clears throat> she slept terribly. She was breastfeeding pretty much on demand. Um, and so she would go to sleep on the boob and for a while we were trying to get her to a place where she wouldn't need my boob to fall asleep. And sometimes a bottle would work, but very rarely. And so I just, there was no relief. There was no breaks. Um, and so eventually because of the scratching, like I wasn't sleeping, she was in a bassinet or a, like a bed thing next to mine, a co-sleeper. And so uh -huh. eventually I was just pulling her in the bed. Um, anytime she woke up and needed a feed and then I would sleep pinning one arm here and putting my other arm around her to pin her other arm down so that she couldn't scratch herself. So that's how we would sleep so that she would stop um, itching so much. And we had a million creams and all the crap and nothing was working. You know, we were rubbing like coconut oil on her head, like right, right. emu oil, like nothing worked. So all of that stuff kind of culminated and I hadn't slept in like three months. And um, I was really irritable, really depressed um, and then I started, the anxiety started kicking in hardcore to the point where the only way that I was able to feel like I had any control was by uh, hurting myself. And oh no, it, it was usually like, I just wanted to bang my head against a wall because I was so frustrated. And so I actually started doing that, which the lack of control that that brought about was freaking me out but then the amount of satisfaction and control I felt after banging my head against a wall was also equally alarming um so I tried for a while to deal with it on my own and with my partner um my mom had come in around six months after she was born and stayed for three months and she was dealing with a lot of the ups and downs of that. So my mom was trying to watch Emmy more and get her more onto like a sleep schedule so that I could like breathe, sleep, take a shower, you know, maybe go outside, take a walk. 
try to train a little bit. Um, and it wasn't getting better, uh, but it wasn't getting worse. It was just kind of this ongoing thing. And my partner was really, really tired of it. And um, I was just stuck. And so I, I don't remember exactly when, but I finally went to a doctor who was like, listen, your hormones are probably all over the place. Sometimes it's a chemical thing and you can't just fix it with non-medicinal ways. What do you want to try? Cause I had, I had tried talking to people as well and that wasn't working. Oh, I tried talking sure. to people and they told me that it was like one of the therapists told me everything was my fault because your, your child is an extension what? of you. And so if you have anxiety, she has anxiety and that's why she's having all these problems because of you. And I was oh like, my God. God. Oh, oh. Like, so I had bad experiences with um, therapists and um, I had a couple that just didn't help. Like I, I talked to them for like six or seven sessions and they just didn't help. And I was like, good Lord. So I was like, yep, fine. I'm really against drugs, but you know what? I'll try it. So I went on um, like a low level antidepressant um, for three months, maybe a little longer. And it did seem to work. It helped me level out, but it also, mm -hmm. I am not a level person. I do have really highs and lows and it's, I'm creative and I'm exuberant and I express myself with my body and my hands. That's what artists tend to do, right? If that's their medium. And it made me feel very flat and it took away oh. a lot of my, my highs and lows, which is the point of the drug. It's supposed to help you regulate, right? But for someone who thrives on highs and lows, it really took away a lot from me. So, and it also just like completely zaps your sex drive, like gone. And I just finally was like, all right, I think I want to start getting off this and I'll maintain like this self-care regime and I'll try to, you know, my, my business had started by then. So I was like, I had a purpose. I wasn't just a stay at home mom. Like I was making money. I was mm -hmm. performing. So I was like, all right. And then trying to get off those drugs was like almost as hard as before being on them. I Oh no. I never knew that like getting off antidepressants causes like vertigo, um skin zaps, heart palpitations. Uh, so I'm on um I was on it before mm. because I'm anxiety like hereditary. Yeah. When I was pregnant, I got off of it and I didn't have any trouble getting off of it. I stepped myself down nice. beforehand. Anyways, but how, like, I'm on 100 milligrams a day. Were you like way over that or un no. way under that? I was way under. I think, um, I think it just depends on how your body reacts to right. the drug. Right, right. So, so my doctor tells me that people are on anything from 25 milligrams a day to 250 milligrams a day. Like yeah. all of her anxious patients, that's the spectrum. Yeah. 250 is a lot actually, but it depends on your imbalance. Like if your right. serotonin, like if your serotonin is getting like evacuated too much naturally, whatever. So it, it's, it's so different. I've heard this from a lot of people that coming off of it for me, getting on it is really, really hard. And oh. then coming off of it when I did was not at all. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I had the opposite and I, and I definitely was only taking like 25 mils. I think it was like the very starting level dose. Sure. Sure. And so now that you are free and clear of it, how do you feel? Um, I think I've been good for a while. Um, I'm still, I still have moments where like I get those like overwhelming anxiety type things and I have the impulse to like bash my head, but I don't actually do it. And that to me is like big, good steps. And I, I feel okay. like we've all had those moments where we get to those points of oh, yeah. frustration, but I had never felt, I had never really had uh, any mental health issues that I like understood or knew about before. And I had had a lot of friends mm -hmm. who had gone through these things and I was always there for them and trying to help them, but could never really understand. And now I have mm -hmm. a small glimpse into that struggle and it is rough. And, um, 
I am. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was really freaking rough. And I'm thankful that I'm able to kind of move on and regulate where I am right now. I still have those moments. I'm still trying to get back to find a good, um, therapist. Um, because I think I'm not sure how talk therapy works for me, but I'm going to try because I don't want more drugs. It was bad (laughs) for me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, I feel like for me, it would always, um, it would always boil down to a weepiness. Mm. Like I felt like I had to, like, like I was always up here, like in my throat and I was always a, and it felt like how, like when you really want to cry in life, but you don't have that, but imagine that being a norm all the time. It was like, I, I will characterize it as the most painful thing in my life. Like emotionally painful thing in my life to deal with that. And, and so, um, the postpartum hormones, oh man, they just took me for a ride. Oh yeah. And it was, it was terrible. So I had, I recognized that and my doctor got me back on my medication. I don't know, two or three months postpartum. And ever since then I've been on it. Um, but yeah, there are, there are pros and cons and, um, it's not an easy decision because the, what you talk about the high and lows, like it made you feel flat. It doesn't make me feel flat. It makes me feel what I would consider like rational. Like you can control what you need to control. L- like, like what I look at a normal person and they're not just erupting into tears over nothing all the time. Yeah. Like that's the person that I am with, with, with the medication. Like I can handle when my partner comes home and we get into a, we get into a little bit of a fight over the dishes. Right. Like it doesn't make me want to run and like have the same outburst as my child. Like I look back at myself and that's what it felt like, you know? So it's so interesting. I love that we ended up talking about this because it's, I think it's a poignant thing for the ladies out there who are going through this because Sometimes it's not helpful enough to be like, oh, there's this thing called PPD. Like sometimes, you know, it manifests itself differently. Like some people have rage. Some people do what, like I've never heard of anybody saying they, they wanted to necessarily physically hurt themselves. Definitely have people say they want to physically hurt someone else, like their husband, their partner. Um, And for me, I just, you know, couldn't get through the day without feeling like I was just falling apart. So like... But like crumbling, not necessarily like I needed to get energy out. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, so interesting. This, see, this is why I don't plan. And also planning takes time, which I don't have a lot of. I feel that. So I, I, I schedule it. I know a little bit about what's going on and the reason why I've asked you to be here. And then it's just like, we go down all these rabbit holes and it's cool. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And it was really lovely talking to you. Yeah, so fun talking to you. You know, now this is the thing that's giving me my worldwide aerial um, community just completely like just exploding all over the world because, you know, I live in L.A. It's kind of yes. in my own little bubble here. And then I started the podcast and I meet all these people. Yeah, this is your reach out. I love it. Caitlin, so thank you so much for carving out the time and doing the math on the time zones and sharing your whole story. It's vulnerable, but you made me laugh. And I was definitely sitting back eating my proverbial popcorn, listening to your story because it could be made into a movie for sure. Um, And uh, thank you for sharing it with this worldwide audience. And if any of you guys would love to be on the podcast, just reach out to me. You guys, I legit have to not have to, but I'm supposed to, like it's a podcast, so once a week for most of the year, and I want to highlight as many of your voices as possible. So reach out to me if you've got a story that you'd like to share, and if you want to, you know, just chime in on some of the stuff that is happening. Uh, In my show notes, there's links to teacher training, aerial rehab, my beginner to intermediate course, which is awesome because you can take it from anywhere. And even if you're not a beginner, 
all the 101 stuff, like if you feel like you have to go relearn things like footlocks and specific climbs, it's all in there. It's lifetime access. You can always access these videos. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's a great product and, and I hope you guys will check it out. And if you would please honor me with the five-star rating and a review, it makes the most difference in the world. I appreciate that so much from you guys. And, uh, thank you to Digital Podcasts. It is a wellness and health brand. Uh, if you want to hear about more broad topics, Greener Grass, I am the co-host of and the producer of. And so if you just want to hear more about the world and um, different perspectives of it, check it out there. It's in the show notes. All right, my friends, have an amazing week. I'll see you next time. Over and out. This is The Expected Artist. Bye.